Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. I'm Justin McKeldry. I'm the, the campus pastor over at the branch in Los Al, and so it's good to be with you. So if you're wondering, someone might be saying, who's that guy? And others might be saying, oh no, it's him again. And so just so you know a little bit of the story, I've been here a long time, but about five and a half years ago, we started the campus in Los Alamitos. And so I'm, I'm in charge of that crew over there. And it's, it's awesome. It's a blessing, but it really is wonderful to be back. And it definitely feels like home every time I come back. So um, it's grateful to be here. And uh, last week I preached this sermon at the branch. And so hopefully it's, it's, better than it was, not a half-baked sermon. So, um, But anyways, here we go. Uh, I admitted last week, and I told them I've admitted it before, and I'll admit it again, that I spend too much time on Facebook. But I enjoy those things where I learn something new. Now, I go to Facebook for fun stuff. I don't go to argue or for politics or anything like that. I go for fun stuff. And so some of my favorites are finding out new stuff, like like this thing. I wish I would have known this when my kids were young, because your little kids can hold those little wing things and then they don't get juice all over their their stomach. I didn't know that. And I'm not sure that's true, but it should be. Um, and then this next one too, Chick-fil-A might change my life twice. I mean, that, that thing could be awesome there to uh, really to go and get your nuggets while you roll. So I like those things like that. I think those things are fun. Um, and so that got me thinking of other things. So I was looking at some different hidden messages in logos. And, and so this one on Toyota, I didn't know. I don't, again, I don't know if it's true, but it should be. And so this is, uh, you can, like, I'm not a real fan of their logo, but now I see why you can spell out Toyota with all those different loops there. I thought, man, that's interesting. Amazon, I, I know that there's the smile and the arrow, but I didn't get that it delivers everything from A to Z. Did, how many people, did you all know that? Okay, okay. Last service, they, everyone knew, and so they made me feel really dumb. But um, So thank you. I'm glad you're with me. Alfa Romeo. I've never really thought much of Alfa Romeo. I was just looking around, and this is a symbol of resurrection from some Italian family's crest. It looks like a big snake eating a guy. So that's disturbing. I'm not sure whether I'm repulsed or have a new respect for them. Maybe both. I don't know. But um, why am I telling you this? I am telling you this because in today's passage, it has one of my favorite verses in the Bible. And it doesn't mean what I thought it meant. I, 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 now that I've actually studied it, I, I see it and I, I can't unsee it now. And it's, it's great, um, but it's challenging. So we're continuing our summer series in the Psalms, summer mixtape. And when we started this, I wasn't super excited um, as I was preparing, but I've now turned the corner. Because as I continue to explore Psalms, I see different topics and themes that have a, both a continuity, but also a variety, which is everything you want in a good mixtape. And I, I would love to tell you I, I had it planned this way all along, but just like my time on the internet looking up company logos, I continue to be surprised. So this week, we're in Psalm 46. So go ahead and open your Bibles to Psalm 46. If you don't have a Bible, raise your hand. Our ushers will bring a loaner to you, and it's on page 471 in the loaner. If you don't have a loaner, I don't know what page it's on, but... Um, so last week, y'all looked at Psalm 51. Steve Ellis preached. I'm sure it was fantastic. Um, and Psalm 51 is one of the great psalms, just incredible depth. And Steve is a great preacher. So I'm pretty sure it's hard to follow Psalm 51. It's hard to follow Steve. I'm pretty sure that's why Mike went to Cuba. I don't think it has anything to do with ministry. He wanted to just uh, have me do that. No, um, but 
Psalm 51 is amazing. It helps you grapple with our sin. I mean, it's not fun, but it's, it's important. And to embrace the forgiveness that's offered to us in Jesus. And I love how God steps up when we fall down and how he is at his greatest when we're at our lowest and he shines brightest in our darkest moments. And that is beautiful. And we saw some of that last week and we're going to experience some of that today as well. And so the thing I want you to leave with this morning, there's one thought, and if you don't leave with this, then it's your fault, not mine, because I'm going to say it a lot of times. And it's this, it's that our God is present and powerful in our chaos. See, my personal goal for this summer is to try and find a Beatles song for every, um, every sermon title. And so the first time I preached, it was, it was about hope. So it was, here comes the sun. And so this week we're going with here, there, and everywhere, because God is our help no matter where we are. Our God is present and powerful in our chaos. Now, if you're a big Beatles fan, you're saying that's not what that song's about. I'm, I know, I know. I don't even know the song, but I know. So save your email. Um, we're just having fun with it. Just having a little bit of fun with it. Next week at the branches, Obla Di, Obla Da, or maybe the Yellow Submarine, we'll see. Um, so that's what we're looking at. Let me pray, and then we'll continue. Um, we'll get into the word. Father, thank you for your just amazing goodness to us. Uh, what uh, You are our cornerstone. You ground us when things seem to be coming unraveled. And Father, we come here this morning from so many different places. Um, Some of us have had just an amazing week, and life is so good, and we are here excited to celebrate with your people and to celebrate you. Uh, Others of us, it's been tougher. We're suffering, or we know someone who is. We're weary, we're tired, um, we're coming in burdened, and we need you to lift that. We need that hope. We need that encouragement. And so with that breadth of where we're coming from, Lord, we, we're just grateful and amazed that you're the God you are, that you can meet each of us where we are and give us what we need to speak to our hearts and to take us to where you want us to go. So I pray, Lord, that we would have open hearts, that we would have open minds, that we would surrender ourselves to you and let you have your way in us as we open your word this morning. And that we'd all leave here a little different, looking a little more like Jesus than the way we came in. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're in Psalm 46, and I'm going to pop around a couple verses first to help us get our bearings. So it starts out, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. And then we jump ahead to verse 7, and it says, The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And then verse 11, it says the same thing. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, there's no question here that God is strong, and God is our fortress. And that's important, and we'll get to that. But if we're not careful, we jump straight to that and miss a very small but important word here. And that's our. That he is our God. And, and, and we are his. He was ancient Israel's God. He is ours today. He is for us. He is our God. He is near us. And so this is a big deal, particularly as we're going to process suffering and difficulties in life a little bit today. And and it's important to understand we aren't trusting some old man distant on a cloud who likes harp music. We aren't trusting some personalityless energy or principle. We're not trusting the universe. We are trusting the God of all creation who cares for us. And he has a personal relationship with us, or at least he, we can. And in some ways, that makes the mystery of suffering all the more puzzling, because if God knows us, we say, why doesn't he stop the suffering? And that's a good question that there's not an easy answer to. But here's the thing. Even if we had this clinical, logical, tidy answer, 
that isn't always what we need when we're in our pain. I was reading an article this week. Sean McDowell is a guy who does a lot of apologetics, particularly with students. And he was reading a book at a barber shop in Colorado. And in that book, the book had something about God on it. So the, the, the hairdresser, she, he sat in the seat and she said, hey, I see you're reading a book about God. I've got some questions. He's like, hey, this is what I do. Fire away. And so she's hit, say, why is there so much suffering in the world? And so with that, he... Um, proceeds to answer her questions one after the other as they come, and he's nailing it. He's got every answer. Then all of a sudden, she just stands in front of him and and is crying and saying, you just don't get it. Like, it can't be that easy. And so he left. The the article did not say whether she finished the haircut or not, by the way, but um, so I'm still curious about that. But they left, and he asked his friend who was with him and said, okay, what what went wrong there? Because I answered everything perfectly. And she said, and the friend said, you have any idea how arrogant you sounded? He had all the answers, but she didn't need answers. When we're in the throes of suffering, yeah, we want to know why. But even more important than that is knowing who's with us. This passage tells us God's with us. He's here, there, and everywhere. Now, I need to be clear here. Um, this isn't the default setting for us. We're all born separated from God. We need to choose to follow him. We need to respond to him calling us and receive the gift of life that's offered to us in Jesus. We trust him. We follow him by surrendering our sin, confessing our sin, and receiving his gift of forgiveness that he secured with his death at the cross. And if you've not done that and you're saying, I need to take that step, or at least you want to explore that, come talk to me afterwards because there's no more important decision you can make. So, this is, a, this is a big deal, and that's how we know that God is with us. So as we embark on our journey this morning, as we keep going in this, we, we want to be clear that our God is present and powerful in our chaos, and specifically, don't forget that word, our. He is our God, and we are his. He is personally invested in us, and he wants us to trust him. And you notice in each of these, verses 1, 7, and 11, they're all declarations. These aren't questions. These aren't pleas. These aren't, I wonder if God's going to be with me. They are lines in the sand, stakes in the ground, saying whatever challenges arise, God, I'm trusting you. So let's see how it plays out. Verses 1 to 3. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way. Though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though, its mount, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. So this is a picture of the world coming apart here. Earth and mountains, these were the places of strength and stability, and they're coming undone. They're failing. And not only that, they're being swallowed up by the sea, which represents chaos and fear. And this is catastrophe, cataclysm in the natural world that we're looking at. And physical signs were a big deal in the ancient world. They're looking at floods, earthquakes, all kinds of crazy here, right? Um, This is stuff the Egyptians, some of what they had to deal with when Israel fled. These were signs that something big is afoot. And this is a statement that when everything's coming apart in the world around me, when everything's coming unraveled, it's this amazingly terrifying picture that we just got a little tremble of this week, but way worse, right? And he's saying, I'm going to trust God even in this. Our God is present and powerful in our chaos. That's a big deal. Because if we can trust God when the the physical world is coming apart, then we can trust him in most other things. And so we see the psalmist trust in God despite this natural disaster that he witnesses. But what about when things get a little closer to home? Because when stuff happens out there, it, it hits us differently than when it's personal. 
Look at verses four and five. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. Now, when we look at the craziness of the first three verses, we kind of get whiplash because all of a sudden things just got really calm, really serene here. And, and this is all good. This is the ideal picture of Jerusalem where God is dwelling with his people and everything is wonderful. There's no river there, but the, the mention of river evokes images of the Garden of Eden where everything is well watered and more importantly, God dwells there and everything's beautiful. And it wasn't, it was a Jewish, but, but even broadly throughout the region, there was a belief that if God was dwelling in the city, the city was secure. But if he or she left, depending on who your God was, you were toast, you were done for. And defeat demonstrated that either your God was weak or your God had left you. And, and that's why you got overrun. And so the psalmist is emphasizing here, God is in charge and everything's good until verse six, the nations rage the kingdoms totter. And so the nations, they see Jerusalem and they say, we want that. And so they're looking to pillage and plunder and dominate little old Israel. But look at the second part of verse six. He utters his voice, the earth melts. God can end this business in a heartbeat and he does it several times throughout the Old Testament. That's what he does because our God is present and powerful in our chaos. But if we know our Bible, we know he doesn't do it every time. Remember Babylon? They came and overran Jerusalem. The Bible gives us some hint on how that all came down. Well, there's lots of it in the prophets, but one that is always stuck in my mind is the beginning of Daniel, chapter 1, verse 2. It says, The Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the vessels of the house of God. It's a pretty, whatever, bland verse when we look at it, it's one of those we skip over, but it's kind of earth-shaking here. Babylon didn't take anything. The Lord gave it because Israel had been unfaithful and they needed to learn. They needed to undergo this time of discipline, teaching them there there are fates worse than death and one of them is unfaithfulness. Now, that's not our context in Psalm 46, uh, thankfully, but we see the nations encroaching and on God's city and their homeland. And then the response is, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. In other words, our God is present and powerful in our chaos. Even though they're coming to our doorstep, we're going to be okay. Even if we are outgunned and mountmanned, all that stuff, God's got us. That's the declaration here. So God's present when the natural world's coming apart. And then when trouble comes knocking on our front door or on our city wall or whatever it may be, this is great. But And, and so we know he's there then, but when is all this nonsense going to end? That's the next question. Okay, he's here, but how long does this have to go on? Why do we have to deal with this stuff at all? And the fact of the matter is this is the consequence of our sin. It's not a one-to-one correspondence all the time. Sometimes it definitely is. But you put seven billion sinners on a planet, bad stuff's going to happen, and that's kind of where we are. James says we covet and strive. We're not content, and so a lot of our suffering in this world is self-inflicted. Even so, we say, when is it going to be enough, Lord? Is there an end in sight? And if our God is present and powerful in our chaos, the next couple of verses remind us that it it's, isn't just protecting us from natural disasters. It isn't just when trouble comes knocking on our front door, but he's going to shut this conflict thing down in the future altogether. 
Verses eight and nine, come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. If Wikipedia is to be believed, and I know sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't, right? There's 52 armed conflicts in the world right now, which is pretty stunning of varying degrees. But God's gonna bring that all to an end. He's there, here, there, and everywhere, including the promise of being there in the future to still all the fighting. So this is where the surprise comes in. One of my favorite scriptures, maybe yours too. Be still and know that I am God. So I hear that verse and, and I think of, of when, when I use that verse, I, I see my brother Sam here and I, I see he's going through a tough time. And so I sit down with Sam and I say, you know, I know it's tough, but brother, you need to be still and know that he is God, right? And that's not bad. Well, depending on when you say it. I mean, there could be times where you just need to be quiet like Job's friends were. But, but that's not what it's saying here. It's not the hand around your shoulder whisper. This is the voice of a playground teacher breaking up a fight. This is the voice of the parent when the kids are just bickering and it's stop, be still, cease, desist, knock it off. I mean, you recall, do you recall Jesus when he, when he calmed the storm? He wasn't like, can you guys hold it down, you waves and winds? Could you? No, it was peace, be still. He commanded them and they stopped. It was stop, knock it off, don't make me pull this car over. That's what we're looking at here, right? One of the resources I was studying was, uh, in, in prep was by an African scholar, Nupnaga Wienzana, I hope I pronounced that correctly, He says this, we long for the day when he will answer the prayer of many African churches and do the same on the African continent. We are waiting for the day when he will break the Kalashnikov rifles, destroy all the landmines, and burn all the missiles. And that's a prayer for anywhere we see violence and suffering. We should be able to get behind that. Blessed are the peacemakers, Jesus told us. And we know from this promise that there will be a day when he says, stop. It's all done. And when this happens... The response is clear. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. And so here we are. Back to our God being present and powerful in our chaos. He's with us in the middle of it. And then one day he's going to shut it all down and he'll still be with us. But the chaos will be gone. And what a day that will be. And I don't know about you, but this psalm is so comforting and so wonderful in some ways. But then... There's some ways that it, it challenges me too. It doesn't quite sit right. What I mean by that is when there's a natural disaster, I'm pretty sure Jews and Christians historically have kind of died in proportion to the rest of the general population. Um, there are certainly exceptions, and God does miracles, but beyond natural disasters, we see sickness all around us. My mother-in-law has been in the hospital for a couple weeks. That's why Victor was at the branch this Sunday is because my wife's down there caring for her mom. She just came home, but she's not in great shape right now. So pray for her, pray for our family. So when I see this psalm, I'm like, that's great, but how is this really going to play out in real life here, Lord? Let's remember our central thought. He's present and powerful in our chaos, so he's powerful. He can rescue, and he often does, but not every time. You know that. Some of your biggest pains in your life, like literal pains, is when you wanted God to rescue and it didn't come out the way you wanted. I don't 
even though he does it most of the time. I mean, we're dealing with the sin that Adam and Eve brought into this world, but we have perfected and refined and expanded upon everything they've done. And in some ways, we've made our bed. We live in a broken world. And sometimes God rescues us from that in the here and now. Miracles happen. They still happen today. I believe that. Um, But I also believe that they're concentrated in the Bible to give us hope. To know what God can do. But it doesn't mean it happens all the time. In fact, if you remember the book of Acts, Peter and James are both imprisoned. They're both big names in the early church. Um, And there's this great story of Peter's rescue in prison. There's angels. There's earthquakes. It's fantastic. We all remember that story if you went to Sunday school as a kid. We love that one. I don't remember them teaching a couple verses before that when they killed James. Did God like Peter better? I I don't think so. It just doesn't always work out the way we want. Sometimes we're Peter, sometimes we're James, and we don't know why. So as we navigate this, um, God's working a plan that's different for each one of us. So, So as we wrestle with it, we need to understand that just because we suffer, God's still present and powerful in our chaos, but he's working in mysterious ways that we just don't understand, but they're part of a bigger story. They're part of the biggest story. And, and he's included us in part of that. And sometimes we're James, sometimes we're Peter. When we say he's present and powerful, sometimes we assume it, it, that we think that means it's going to be easy. At least some of us might. But that's heaven. And in case you notice, we're not there yet. This only makes sense if we really believe that there are fates worse than death, like I mentioned before, unfaithfulness being one of them. We have brothers and sisters all over the world who are suffering and dying because they love Jesus. But when they do that, they show that they love Jesus more than life itself, and that is powerful. That's a testimony to the bigger story. That whatever your hardship is, when you continue to love Jesus through the hardship, you're showing that you're part of a bigger story. Uh, Hebrews 11 is known as the Hall of Faith, and it goes through the stories of these great Old Testament heroes, and and it's amazing. But I love, love how it ends. Well, love in a weird way. We'll get there. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, women received back their dead by resurrection. That is all awesome stuff. That is the present and powerful in our chaos that we like, that this psalm teaches, but it keeps going. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. That's sobering. They're in the hall of faith too. We don't know their names, but not every one of them came out what we would consider victorious, but they were faithful. And so by God's standards, they're absolutely victorious. I love Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego when they're told to bow down to the, um, the image. They said, O Nebuchadnezzar, 
we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, let it be known to you, O king, we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. See how we face trials and how we face difficulties that tells those who are persecuting us where our hopes and allegiances lie. And, and those who coming generations that we love Jesus more than life. There are things we should believe anyways, more important than life itself. Do we want rescue? Do we want deliverance? Of course. I'm not crazy here, but even more, we want to be faithful. We want to be able to declare when the earthquake is going, when the world is coming apart, that he is our refuge and strength. When there are enemies at the gate who are certain to overrun us, we want to be able to say that, that um, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. We want to be faithful even when it's hard. So how does this work in our own day? I mean, that, that's kind of the objection and that's, that's the best I can do. So um, if that doesn't help you, then talk to Carrie, I guess. Um, I mean, but this bears on life for us, right? right? We are in constant threat of earthquake, and we know that, especially this week. We don't live in tornado or hurricane country, but when, it ha- when, when earthquakes happen, they're scary. You know, even though they're, that was a ways away, um, it's one result of living in a world under the curse of sin. But we trust that God is present and powerful in our chaos. And so we pray for protection, absolutely. And we ask that God would use us to relieve the suffering of those around us when, when something big happens. But this broken creation can come a little closer to home, too. Um, cancer, anyone? I hate that stuff. Killed my grandma. Killed her sister, Aunt Geneva. My Aunt Nora. My father-in-law is killing my mother-in-law currently. Tried to kill my wife. We're not on good terms. And even if it's not cancer, it's something else. There are all kinds of ways that our bodies let us down, and I, I, I get the prayer requests each week, and I pray for those. Life's hard, physically hard. I don't have an easy answer. If I did, I'd, I'd be a wealthy man because I'd write a book that everyone would buy because this is the answer we all want. But I don't know what to do. Well, I know what to do. We trust that God's present and powerful in our chaos. We pray like crazy, and we understand that God's here, that he's with us. And that's so important to know. He's not just with us, by the way, in the presence of the Holy Spirit, which is amazing that we have a comforter and he is with us in that way. But we can also see that he's gone before us in suffering. Jesus calmed storms. He healed illnesses. But you know what else happened? He was also betrayed. He was also whipped and beaten and had a crown of thorns pressed into his head and crucified which is a shameful and excruciating way to die. He knows pain intimately and without dignity. He's been there. So the affliction we face, it's difficult, it's painful, there's no way around it. And our only hope is that one day Jesus will end it. Of course, he can rescue too. I don't want to miss that as well. But when we're in it, he's in it with us. And that sets him apart from any other so-called God that the world can offer. But more than just the physical, um, whether it's the global or, or, or health or whatever, it's 
suffering sometimes comes to our doorstep. And even beyond that, I mean, we're talking about the city, God's people in God's city, but even when we feel conflict and tension with others and, and relational breakdowns, God's with us in that as well. Again, sin has its way far too easily here, but even so, God is present and powerful in our chaos. And so he's given us ways to navigate the difficulties of life, the challenges we face. One of the ways he strengthens us isn't just rescuing us by taking us out of the situation, but working internally in us and through us so that we're able to stand in the situation and maybe even overcome the situation. For example, um, when we talk about relational conflict, we need to learn to love each other. Um, and sacrificially love each other. Not some kind of contract where I treat people how they treat me, but we, we take it to another level. I, I did a memorial service for Paula Fylish just eight days ago, and she used to greet at that door, fantastic, amazingly loving woman. For the first time ever, I used 1 Corinthians 13 in a memorial service. Usually that's a wedding passage, but it was a memorial service, and it was fitting. And we see 1 Corinthians 13, and, and that's something we get framed at Hobby Lobby, right? And we put it in the house, um, and it's wonderful. But when you think about living it, it's a bear. This is, this is a, a, an incredibly challenging passage. It's something that will call us to deny ourselves and sacrifice for the sake of others if we're going to love like this. Let's, let's read it real quick. 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Man, that's nice. That looks good in a frame. But do that after you've been with your kids all day, right? Right? Or, or if you're a boss with your employees, or if you're an employee with your boss, that takes on a whole nother level of challenge, and all of a sudden, it turns from one of your favorite passages to one that you'd rather not read, because the challenge there is substantial. But thankfully, he doesn't leave us alone to this. He's given us the Holy Spirit, and, and so the Holy Spirit empowers us to begin to love differently, and, and we begin to work through this, and he grows the fruit of the Spirit in us, uh, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And so God, as he shapes us internally, he is strengthening us to stand in the moment. It's not just external, it's also how he strengthens us internally as well. God is present and powerful in our chaos, and he's also in the future too. We have the promise that he's going to make it all stop. Like our African brother in that quote before, and the psalmist, we're still waiting for Jesus to say, peace, be still, cease, desist, stop. But we know he will. And we don't just bank on wishful thinking. We don't bank on that because we have no other options. We bank on that because he's died and he's risen again. And his resurrection is the guarantee that God will do everything he said he will do. 1 Corinthians 15 says, In fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the firstfruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, by a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive. But each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule and every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. 
the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Our God's present and powerful in our chaos, so we endure, we hope, we wait, but we do this knowing that there's been this amazing down payment, and that is Jesus himself. The fact that he has risen, he's the first fruits. The first fruits implies there's a second and a third and a fourth, and each of us follow him. It's guaranteed because he's risen. The resurrection isn't just for Easter. So because of this, because our God is present and powerful in our chaos, we can be confident he's going to make it all right. He's going to put everything in order. That's what that passage is saying. And because he does that, because he says, cease, desist, be still, all of that, then we can gently put our hands around our friend's shoulder or even think in our own hearts that we can calm down a little bit. We can rest. We can be still because we know that even if it's crazy right now, it's guaranteed that Jesus is going to take care of it in the end. And so because of that, we pray that he rescues. But until he does, we endure. And we endure in his power and his strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word and the challenge that it holds for us. Lord, we love the triumph of you being our strong tower and our refuge, and we embrace that. And Lord, we embrace that in the way that it may deliver us from our hardship, but we also embrace it in knowing that it may be where we weather the storm is is hiding ourselves in you. And so Lord, you have a different story for each one of us. And so we pray for those needs that are particularly painful right now and ask that you would intervene. But for all of us, Lord, we pray that you would help us endure for our good and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.